HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. It's 
Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, sitting in Mitte in the upstairs uh, apartment of the Cour de Bar. Uh, <laughs> the way you put it is, is yeah. blasé. Yeah. Um, Who knows where Mitte is in, in New York? Uh, I think people know where Mitte is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's made, I mean, Mitte is. It's a Vienna Mitte? Oh, well, I mean, uh, considering the fact that there's a string of German oh, interviews, uh, I think it kind it's of... It's next to Kreuzberg, if anybody Oh, knows. yes. Hipster. Neukölln Kreuzberg Mitte, is that the... What? The line of falling apart. Mitte. The falling apart. I don't know. Do you want to go around the room and introduce yourselves? Start with the oldest or with the youngest? The youngest. Yeah. The most handsome. Um, uh, my name is Lucas Murat. I'm the head chef. My name is Lucas Murat. I'm the head chef uh, since day one, since three years now, almost. Almost, yeah. Almost three years. Uh, I'm from Vienna. I'm 25 years old, and I've been cooking all my life, I guess. And anything else? I'm a very handsome man because you can't see me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Willy Schlögl. I'm from Styria. It's the region where Arnold Schwarzenegger is from, and I'm the sommelier and host in the Cordoba. <laughs> I'm Christoph Ellinghaus. I am the oldest and the best looking of this lot. <laughs> uh, I simply look stunning. People say I look great, but I I would say I look stunning. <laughs> it's nice how you can lie on the <laughs> <laughs> It's nice how you can lie. Uh, it's radio, people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. Um, I'm face to radio. It's absolutely perfect. Um, Let's start with you and your background in cooking. I know you come from a family of uh, culinary masters. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is it, starting with uh, your father as well, too? Yeah, I think my great-grandfather had already a coffee. My great-grandfather uh, was uh, a chef who opened a restaurant with my father. 
25 years ago. Um, what was it called? It's called Murat's and Son. Okay. So my my granddad is our my back name is Murat, so it's Murat's and Son, which was my father, and uh, now he took over. He just got his second Michelin star. He's like just a, one of those workaholics and a very good chef. And um, I've been working all. Always outside of Vienna, actually. I think with my 17th, I left to France, and then I went to Holland and Germany, and then for a short period back to Vienna. Now I'm in in Berlin, but everybody in my family is cooking or or waiting. <laughs> um, are there, were there any like um, kind of lessons from youth from your grandfather or father that you still kind of carry with you um, in the way that you approach food and the way that you cook? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, I think like the taste is like something you. I learned, like, you know, when you eat always the food of your father or grandfather, whatever, like, my taste is very, um, how would you say that, beeinflusst, uh, beeinträchtigt, influenced, or, like, brought up through my family, so, informed. like, informed, so it's, um, I mean, it's just something, like, learning to talk, you know, it was always about, about food, you know, so, like, your surrounding is, like, that's just how it came, so, of course, like, how I taste is definitely totally from my family and anything else like you you just learn but the taste is not changing I think so but like there's way too many lessons uh, <laughs> from my family of course and then for you I mean how did you kind of get into to wine and what was your kind of discovery on that path have you always been in, in food yeah I grew up in a restaurant which was very good stuff with wine I would say and then I went to school with a few crazy guys they've also had some wine bars and wine restaurants at home and the interest was very early in wine so we started then with a sommelier course in school when I was 16 and then I went on with the WECT the Wines and Spirit Education Trust when I was 19 and then I did the exam of the certified sommelier at the first past first time yeah okay well done <laughs> <laughs> the court of master sommelier and yeah and then it became more fun than, than learning by doing it. Mm. Yeah. And then you, Christoph, with the most culinary experience out of all, out of everyone. <laughs> yeah, 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 I had a placement. <laughs> it was funny, when, I, when uh, Willi and I started to look for wine like locations, when we had this idea of we wanted to open up a wine bar here in Berlin, we actually went, and I didn't know him. Well. Yeah, the, the story of how yeah. you two met is, yeah. is really good. If yeah, you know, but just and like when he did, why he passed on the first time with his this the cold the, yeah. the, 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 the <laughs> We went to one bar that we looked at. He's like, hey, there's another wine bar we should check out. And someone dropped, gave him a '76 Bordeaux or something, something, and and blind, and like taste this, and he just took it and sniffed it and swilled it and said. I would say mid-70s, I'd say Bordeaux, I would say the right shore of the river, and I would probably guess, and it was all, it was, everything was right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just lucky nailed day. it. It was, yeah, a lucky yeah. it was a lucky day, <laughs> and he just nailed it, and I said, all right, then, okay. and, he, and he took you to the wine bar, so but, he probably wanted to impress you, told yeah. so many no, times. I, was, I, I suggested to go to that wine bar. It was the first and only yeah. time I made the wine bar, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I need to impress my boss, you should open the wine place. A, we weren't really boss or something yeah. like that at that time, and B, we, it, just, it was just, it was good, he nailed it, come on, yeah. you have a lucky day. Well, yeah. And uh, I was very impressed, I thought, that guy... Should be running a wine bar. <laughs> um, so, so how? So, when after having that thought, um, there's a fourth partner. Like the story yeah. is really amazing, and also the the, the name yeah. and the meaning of the bar. Is okay, so these two are obviously Austrians, and I'm German, and I've been. 
I don't know. I've been interested in wine for some years now, and I've sort of fallen in love with Austrian wine uh, some five, six, seven years ago. Well, longer even. And so I never really paid much attention to the classics. So everybody who works in wine will tell you Bordeaux and Burgundy, that's the shit. And I was just so happy with my little stuff from Burgenland and, <laughs> you know, Styria and whatever. That was enough for me. And so I wanted a wine bar that reflected that taste, me being German. I mean, let's do something German-Austrian. And that's where, that's what we did. That's kind of what we did. So there's these two Austrian clowns and... Uh, <laughs> And then there's, um, well, there's actually one more Austrian clown <laughs> who was instrumental in getting us all together, who lives near Hamburg. And uh, how did he connect the, the three of you? Well, he knew Willy, and Willy knew Lucas, and it's, then it's just a just circle, a it's circle church. It's a big family, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then, um, I mean, so like you had no culinary experience besides drinking and, and eating before. Ex well, and eating wasn't even playing playing much of a role. Yeah, really. just drinking. It was drinking. Just drinking. Yes. So, um, kind of, where did the inspiration and, and you know, where did the kind of thought to be like, let's open up a, a wine bar? It was missing. Yeah. It was simply missing. We came. We went to a show, Radiohead, I think it was, and that we wanted to get a good wine, good bottle of wine after this great show. And we failed. We fell flat. And so we just... Uh, that's when the idea came up that we kind of need a place that is... You know, 11 midnight, you can still get a good... You, literally, 10 years ago, you could not find... Uh, or five years ago, even. I don't think you could find a, a great bottle of wine um, in, a, in a surrounding that isn't Michelin star restaurant in Berlin at midnight. So there was a need for it. And where does the name come from? Oh well, <laughs> there's a, well, you know, so, okay, so you, you people in the U.S. might not know this, but um, there's a little sport called football, not the American football, <laughs> and so Austria is like Canada to you, the little brother, you know, nearby, and so Austrians, anyway, Austria and Germany met in Argentina in a city called Cordoba, and they played football, and Austria kicked German out of the competition in a World Cup. The defending champion, Germany, boof, got sent home by Austria, the little brother from down south. So this is a big deal to the Austrians. And it, it was, was the only time they ever won against Germany uh, in, yes, a competition. in a competition. Probably. And so and then they never got back to go to another World Cup. So they sit at home and watch games, watch that game in a replay when others go to on to World Cups. So the, it's, it was it was became famous as the, the shame of Cordoba from a German point of view and the miracle of Cordoba from a, from a uh, Austrian point of view. And when my Austrian partner Gerhard, who I, I I've been running around Berlin asking people to open up a wine bar with me because I had no experience, and they all went nah nah not interested. This guy was not only interested, he replied. Yes, a German-Austrian wine bar, and we'll call it Cordobar. And I was like, "Dang, that's the spirit. That's the, that's it right there. That's that's you've nailed it, you know." And uh, and then and so he not only does he does he have culinary. Um, I mean, he's been sommelier of the year, you know, and, and he's just like a super connected, great guy um, who knows people. And he, you know, he had him in his in his restaurant at the time. And, really, really, who are you pointing to? Yeah. Uh, oh, this is uh, <laughs> yeah, on radio. Billy, so Billy, the 
bloody Holly lookalike that came out of his kitchen going like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing different glasses then. This is more porn industry. Back then it was more like, you know. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're going to take a quick musical break and then we're going to talk about the restaurant, the food program, the wine program, and the vibe. Uh, we'll be right back on Snacky Tunes. Um, the food that you're putting out? 
Well, um, I think the, it was never planned to be food at Cordoba um, because it was supposed to be a wine bar. Um, and so they were very conscious about not making it again one of those uh, Michelin star restaurants, the only ones where you can drink wine after Radiohead. <laughs> so, um, so we started very basic with like ham and cheese and stuff. But um, after a month, I think I realized, I said, because it's, we have quite a big place, you know, it's like, I mean, for, for, for a wine bar, at least, it's 70 seats. 60. 67 66 66 62 <laughs> <laughs> so it's 66 seats which is quite a lot for a wine bar for like uh, for eight hours to get full so we just um, kind of got a little bit more foodie after a month I think and just um, what do you mean after a month you started with a full menu yeah but it was just like <laughs> little little bits and bobs you don't that, I mean that's not a menu it was food but it was a menu it looked exactly like today's menu there was cold snacks warm yeah. snacks sweet stuff um, and it was from day one yeah yeah Well, because everybody just can order whatever he wants. We always have vegetarian fish and meat options, obviously. Um, I think it's quite creative for a wine bar, I would say. It's nothing too usual. Um, and um, I was never really a fan of, like, um, just choosing for one kind of type, like being like, oh, we're Nordic now, or we're doing this, or we're doing that, or we only get regional stuff or that. So we just do everything, you know, which gives you a million of possi possibilities, you know, if you... I mean, it's good if you put yourself like in a circle, but we never have done this. So we have from Asian flavors to Nordic, whatever. We just do everything, you know, and we change the menu also quite often, I think, like three, four dishes a week. It's 20 dishes on the menu. Um, and, and what kind of, um, you know, in the, and we'll get to the wine selection, but is it, does like the wine lead the food? Does the food lead the wine? Or like, how do the two kind of worlds intersect? They don't. The concept is they don't match. They work against <laughs> each other. I mean, diametrically yes. opposed. Contradiction. I think, like, uh, it's just, um, I think once we had like one uh, winemaker dancers, it was Kella, I think. And it, it was, was Pity. It was Pity, maybe. I think it was Kella actually at one time, and he was like saying, like, This is crazy, like you're one of the most famous wine bar, but no wine ever fits to the food. But still, both of it is really great, you know, so this is kind of like, I don't know, when I go eat, I can't focus on both of it. So if I go eat, I'm going to eat my plate and focus on that. And there's no place for me to, to like try the wine next to it. So I drink and eat. So I think this is how we just always have been doing it. And I, I think, think it was part of the concept as I well. So because if, if you would like to have corresponding wines to the food, you can go to a Michelin yeah. uh, star restaurant. And so it was like having Matching fun. wine and food is old school. Yeah. You are the first uh, that I have ever interviewed that has kind of had, had that concept. So like, as someone with your extensive knowledge where like, you are both deep in encyclopedias and you know like, the notes of you know, this wine and the notes of this food, Do you have to like go out of your way to not bring them together, or do you just? No. That's why it works. Oh, that's why they have, they have the fundamental. Both have a fundamental understanding. There's there's never been much of a, of this thought process. Of, it's not not. There's no concept here. That's, okay. that's the first thing you have to understand. There is no But everybody is telling us that we have a great concept. Yeah. Uh, everybody, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting awards for the concept right and center. Yet they, we've never even you know. And and at some point we realize. We're, we're so without a concept the wines and the food don't actually match <laughs> we had a, a tasting of supremely amazing Pinot Noirs upstairs here in the tasting room in our private dining lounge <laughs> um, we did Pinot Noirs all the way back to I don't know what and Lucas 
sent a course of food that just ruined the entire tasting and, <laughs> and people were because he didn't know what was going on up here. and it was amazing I mean people loved it but it was it was it killed you know it, it, it almost killed the whole thing uh, as, an, <laughs> as an outsider let me ask like, how, how much does it really ruin like if let's say enjoyment is 100% Berlauf what's Berlauf in, 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 uh, Remsen Remsen it's a wild garlic basically so you know when you send a course that is super heavy on wild garlic or like a lamb wrapped in lamb neck wrapped in Remsen with Go, go, go! Taste some wine for the next 15 minutes. You'll yeah. be like, you'll be surprised how the wine well, is the losing people out. Are, the people are probably happy that they have a break for 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Jesus, but in a different way. Yeah. But then the food makes water so mind-blowingly great that yeah. you will like, okay, this is this is amazing. You know. So since you have like total independence from uh, the, the food, I mean, how do you? Go about you know selecting your wines like what is your you know featuring it and you know what is it you know exciting to you and you know kind of the German wine scene in 2016. Depressing. Depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I think every I mean I think like what I what I think why is this working because everybody's just always have been doing what he really likes like wine concept wise you bought the wines you guys really loved. It was it was and great. We got together and we made a list of winemakers, and it was completely and utterly complementary, to the point where I I I said this 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 this, then Willie added that 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 that, and they made perfect sense region wise, uh, from philosophy, from where they come yep. from, almost everything was is is was like, and then and 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 I think that's to me. Is was the is the biggest pride is that you can walk in here and you can I mean you can drink a glass of wine for four euros and I think people in New York don't even know a glass for four euros. Yeah. So you can come in here and drink a and get a glass of four euros fifty or something and it it'll be great accordingly to the price but it'll be great and and then you can go and spend four hundred fifty euros on a bottle if you like and it might be great. But, but there's never been a bad glass of wine poured in this place. That's the idea. And that's, that's the you know, concept in yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I think this is also like when you have this price arrangement, what is really nice in our place is like that we have such a mixed crowd. This is what makes me the most proud in our on the yeah. place. You know, like often you go to a place like, for example, in Neukölln and you just have like all those people who don't really have any knowledge about it. It's just a really cool place so they all run there, you know. And I feel like here it's like... You have from really young guys, like under, not under 18, obviously, but um, some, somewhere around there until like 60 years, 70 years old. It's a really nice mix is what I really like about a restaurant because it gives you also a really nice atmosphere. So, I mean, uh, so it's been five years, you know, how have you seen kind of the wine, since you were like one of the, not the first to do this, how have you seen it evolve? Have you seen other wine bars pop up? Have you seen people try to kind of recapture what you've done here? How has the landscape changed in the last five years? Oh, yes, that happened. There's a lot going on. Wine's becoming, wine's becoming more and more of a thing. Wine didn't, didn't matter at all. Most people, when I, when I run around and say, hey, you want to open up a wine bar with me? They're like, look, Germans, they don't drink wine. If Germans drink wine, it's bad crap from Italy or France. It's shit. You don't want it. And basing a bar concept around those features when Germans really just want beer, beer, And you want it to be Austrian and Italian and German, and, 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 and most Germans don't even know there is such a thing as Austrian wine. Honestly, get lost. Yeah. That's the reaction I got. So 
do having done that and be having been swept to the top really fast. Wait, so what were early days like before we get to current thing? Like 2013. Yeah, like with like the first year, did people like poke their heads in? Were you able to pull from like your we were music like, background? From, from from day one, we were like the, the the we had the all the winemakers came for a party and they all went back home and said, "Oh, what a place!" <laughs> um, and so and then it was just. We became the box to tick. If you're interested in wine and you went to Berlin, we became the box to tick really fast, right. really quick. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. It happened like that. I mean, you, so I mean, other you places, have extensive connections in the music industry. And yeah, people. but it's not so much a music industry. It was culinary. It was like the industry. The, it yeah. was the chefs. Mm. It was the sommeliers from other restaurants. You know, people from the restaurants cleaned up, their, closed up their kitchen, came in for another drop. I mean, they, yeah. it was also, the, what, the first... When were you able to not close at 5 a.m.? After half a year? I don't know. Like if, if we were, this is like the Berghain of wine bars. <laughs> Never close. Cool. Um, and, and really was looking good at the time. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, and then, but also then, I think there's way more wine bars now. Yeah. Totally. Like, wine bars have been opening, concepts have been copied also quite often, I guess. Which Now is they fine. have concept. Yeah. <laughs> so there's um, there's natural wine bars, and there's another natural wine. Yeah. We never we never said we want to be a natural wine bars. I think we have the best natural wines in in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> and the best selection. Boom. And there's and there's natural wine bars. They all have Which the same. Which just exist because it's yeah. really cool to have a natural yes. wine bar. Yeah. yeah. You know they don't even have any knowledge about wine or good wine because there's right. a lot of terrible natural wine as well. And they buy from one wine bar, wine dealer, one right. natural wine dealer. So they all have the same natural wines, and there's now a, a couple of bars, and it's good. I mean, it's good if if, if it. If it makes people more sensitive to the topic of wine and natural yeah. wine, then that, I think that's all good. That all plays into our cards. They'll end up here at some point. Yeah, kind of like <laughs> shift out. So, um, what is like kind of the one thing that you feel like people get since, like, you know, you say they just buy natural wine and bad wine? Like, what is the one thing you think that people get wrong about wine, um, or maybe even more specific about German and Austrian wine that they might have like a misconception about? There's a lot of things people yes. get wrong about German wine. So people in and in your German in wine. your neck of the woods, people <laughs> think uh, German wine is all about sweet riesling, mm. uh, which is and there's amazing sweet riesling and there's really terrible sweet riesling and yep. there is all that, but there's a ton of other stuff. And that riesling actually, like in 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 the, in the top notch quality of riesling, can become. If you get the right winemaker and the right year and the right grow, you'll it's. It beats it in complexity and depth and amazement. It, it can compete with any fine Burgundy for like a, qua a fraction of the price. So that's one great thing that people don't really think and know. And in Austria, there's a lot more going on than in Germany in terms mm. of. So what was the question again? Interesting. Misconceptions about misconceptions about German and Austrian German Austrian wine. I think Austria isn't existing in the international wine market, so there's low. It does. Austria is less than two percent of export in the international market, so nobody knows about Austrian wines. Mm. There are a few New Yorker because of Aldo Som and Le Bernardin wine bar because he's doing a lot for Austrian wines, mm -hmm. or the Valsi in New York, but nobody talks about Austrian wines, I guess. But there is a lot. Lots going on with native grapes as Blaufränkisch, Zweigelt, and Grüner Wettliner, things like that. 
and they're becoming better and better. And after the big wine scandal in '86, mm -hmm. the quality increased increased a lot. So, um, so kind of last question, you know, uh, what is on the horizon, or what is kind of coming next uh, for this? Just more wine not paired with food um, any other kind of like things that people can be excited about or, or keep their eyes open for uh, I've just found an Israeli artist who I think is the shit <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to focus on my record label for a while and let these guys do some arm wrestling and then whoever wins gets to do the next concept Oh, perfect. Without much of a concept. Yeah. <laughs> Without a concept. No, we have some ideas, but it's kind of too early to talk about, really. Fine. I think. Um, well, I want to thank you for making time. I know there's a, a football match that needs to be <laughs> attended to, but um, where can people find you? Website, Instagram, I don't know. www.cordobar.net slash en is for English, right away. Um, um, or or single woman on Willy Schlögel's Facebook site. <laughs> Facebook Willy Schlögel works perfect. <laughs> so, um, put, put a ring on it. Dot <laughs> at. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, and Instagram. I would just like oh. to say um, hello to Roberta's, and I love that place really. Yes. I need to tell them that it's, it was one of the best pizzas I ever had. I will absolutely let them know. Um, and then, oh, you said Instagram as well? Yeah. Strong Instagram game? <laughs> Strongish. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, well, uh, we're going to take a quick musical break and we'll be back with the second part of Snacky Tunes. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com
you heard it, right? What is that instrument again? The vibraslap. The vibraslap, yeah. It's like well placed in that song. Like uh, maybe they use it like once or twice, but they really just save it right for the for the end. Yeah, save the best for last. Yeah. Um, I am one half your host, Snacky Tunes, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, we have Heideman, aka Monica H, uh, live in studio. Uh, thanks, big shout out to Andrew J Six. <laughs> as he is in our from phone. Andrew from J6. Andrew from J6. I don't even know if he associates that, but that's how he is yeah. in our phone. Yeah, we both realized we both have him in our phone that way. Yeah. Um, many bands ago. Many bands ago. Um, speaking of many bands ago, you've had many, many bands. I have. Um, you want to rattle off some of the former projects? Uh, well, current, well, currently, I have this project, and then I also play, in, play synth in the Mom McLean, and also... Um, Hess is more a great band from from Denmark and also half the time in New York. Um, I was in a in a pop band called Xylos where I was singing, and then before that, I had kind of a solo, uh, kind of proggy, jazzy rock thing um, under my own name once again. Um, so you started. Ten years ago, you were saying, with your own name project, and now you've dropped the first name, and you're just going by a last name. Mm-hmm. What was the decision to, or, or is, is there any tie between the former project and the current project, or is it just in name only? Just in name. You know, my cells regenerated, so <laughs> I got a new name. Um, and uh, let's just talk about Mom Clean for like half a second. Yeah. Because I saw you play at um, what is uh, now another defunct... Uh, venue cameo. Oh yeah, that show was amazing. Oh yeah, which one did you go to? Um, the last one or the one of the first ones? The last one. Oh great. I was uh, I was out sick and was like I will just like try to make it for the second one. It was great. That new record is great and the the band put together is is awesome. Yeah, it's been great playing with them. Um, so let's talk about the current project and um, how do you know this songs kind of come together like where do you pull the inspiration from for this kind of given 10 years of synth playing and your history or uh well i think it really came from playing in bands for so long and i never really got to create things on my own Mm -hmm. um either out of thinking that i couldn't or just not wanting to or not not even thinking about it really and i think after what's that i was gonna say why did you think you couldn't um, I think because at the time I wasn't like super into electronic stuff or production and I was just more like, oh, I'm a singer and, mm. and I, I like synths, but like I've, I'm never going to, or not, I'm never going to, but like I didn't, I was more focused on like being a singer, I guess, and like writing, writing songs and I would write with like with bass or bass synth a lot and like have a lot of, um, make, make connections with like, like harmony and, and bass lines and melody and stuff. And stuff, but I never got into the technical aspects of it um, until I kind of decided that I wanted to. And it, of course, there's like a, a learning curve involved <laughs> to get past the technical stuff. But I just kind of like broke my brain against it for a couple years. It's and am- it's amazing. Still how- am. But yeah. yeah. But it's amazing how people feel like you know I'm too old or right. I can't do that. And then you just kind of like one little small foot in front of the other and yeah. like you're like oh I learned this synth or I learned this like arpeggiator or, yeah, or, or like anything so yeah I think also I mean I've I've always like loved synth since I was a child and uh I just never 
they always they kind of intimidated me to be honest like once I actually had like a real one in front of me what was the first one that you kind of broke your head against but felt that uh you mastered um the first like the first synth that I got was a was the Korg Poly 800 which actually isn't like the easiest synth to really learn as far as like you started on medium (laughs) yeah I, I, it was like a, you know, a, a relatively inexpensive or a inexpensive synth, but to program that is sort of a huge pain in the ass. And it's not a very good synth to mess with in a live setting. It's more of those kind of synths that you just find your sound and like hope and then go with that for whatever song. I mean, unless you mod it and get all crazy with that, but I haven't done that yet. I mean, there's, there's still more to learn. There's, it seems endless. Yeah. And there's the whole modular world, which is really like taking off and has taken off. And, and how did you crazy. how did you teach yourself, or where did you start? Uh, I had you know some friends. I would ask them things and annoy the shit out of them, and and I I literally like couldn't understand it. Like mm. like there's like the con like certain concepts of it, just like would not integrate themselves in my brain and I was just like oh my god why can't I learn this and I felt really stupid and then like you just I just would remember just like staring at a synth and like all the and and then all of a sudden like this thing just like opens up in your brain and it's like this huge epiphany on like how it works and you're like oh my god I can get this now and then there's like another thing another layer and it keeps like going and going uh can we hear a song Sure. See, see how effortless that was? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are you going to play for us first? I'm going to play a song off um, my newish EP. It's called um, So In Love. I'm So In Love. Good guy 
So you mentioned that you have loved synths since childhood. Mm-hmm. What is it that grabbed you about them uh, before, you know, you loved them before you understood them? Yes. What was, what are, <laughs> <laughs> I just knew. <laughs> just, what was it that spoke um, to you? I don't I don't really know. It's just the sound, you know, like a sound just gets to you. And I think a lot of it, like I watched a lot of music videos when I was a kid from the 80s. And like I used to like have to watch like the MTV top 10 video countdown, like at the at the end of the week, every week. And, you know, at the time, there's like all these bands with synths and a lot of like DX7s and Casios and stuff. And there was just something about about the sound and I, I just remember like wanting one so badly for Christmas and I, I was taking piano lessons and when I was a kid and I was like oh I want like a Casio for you know for some reason that was like the name that stood out from probably from some music video and uh and I remember my dad got me a Casio but it was like one of those kind of like Casio tone like with like the program beats and I, I think we still have one in our attic yeah uh, that's I just, still have mine yeah, too just like <laughs> in very, my dad's yeah. attic but I remember <laughs> being all really bummed out yeah no I remember like even in fourth grade being like like playing it and like being like that's not the sound that I want like I wanted like like wave waves and stuff. I wanted like sawtooths and square, and you know. To- yes, totally. but I didn't know that I wanted that. Right. I just remember like being like, "Oh, electric piano! Like this is not what, what like I the, wanted." Was like the rumba beat? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. tango, rumba, salsa, two step. Yeah, just uh, you're like, hmm, this is not this is not what I envisioned. This yeah, would be. no, not at all. And I just remember being like, and I didn't understand why I was so bummed because I was just I didn't have anyone else. My parents are like. I mean, they were into music, but they're, like, into kind of classical music, and they're, like, immigrants and didn't, like, weren't exposed to, you know, rock that much or uh, pop, who, you know. Who were some of the bands um, that influenced you kind of early on? Uh, pretty much just pop bands. No, nothing too obscure. I think, like, my favorite albums were, like, uh, Cyndi Lauper, She's So Unusual. That was, like, a big one. Madonna, pretty, pretty classic. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry for Around the distraction. The There's a huge uh, surprise birthday party going on in the background. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. You're doing, I mean. They're not clapping for, for they're, my, they're like, Madonna, my, child, yes. my childhood choices. Cindy Lauper, oh I, my I God. I agree. Oh, yes, of course. She was amazing. She got robbed that Friday. She'd been number one. Um, Seriously. Underrated pop star. Uh, can we hear another song? Sure. Uh, what are you going to play for us this time? Um, this one is called Swords, and it's from my first um, EP called Orphan.
Uh, so EP came out uh, earlier this spring. Yes, in April. Congratulations. One, yeah. Um, what's up for? I guess I guess summer's almost done. So I guess what's no, up for right? the fall? Man, that's that's like heartbreaking that summer's almost done. I know, like got all of a sudden cold, not cold, but yeah. like you know, a balmy eighty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, and you can kind of feel the cold, yeah, you can the, feel the it's fall like fall creeping in. Yeah, that's okay. How's your fall clothing right. game? Uh, well, I'm going to LA. I'm gonna try and keep it oh. keep it alive, oh. keeping <laughs> summer alive. Like refuse to pack any jackets. It's just shorts, yes. tank tops. Exactly. Um, so LA, uh, any shows coming up? Uh, yeah, actually, I have one at uh, Come On Everybody. Oh, amazing! Mm-hmm. Uh, when September first? Oh, perfect. So yeah, great. You should come. Yeah, of course. Who else is playing? Uh, my friend. Uh, is playing she goes by the name um trash magnolia she's a it's kind of like electronic uh bouncy new orleans but not jazzish jazzish jazzy yeah but electronic with a trashy okay overtones. that sounds great yeah that sounds like really that actually sounds really yeah fun. she's an old friend of mine and she's amazing so is she from new orleans good. or mm-hmm. oh, okay yeah oh Okay, good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, we'll make sure we have time for one more song. Um, where can people find your two EPs? Where can they find you? On the usuals. The, the usual usuals. places. <laughs> um, I mean, if you want a physical copy, you can go to Bandcamp, but, you know, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Can we talk about Bandcamp shows. for a second? Yeah, yeah. They are great. Thank you. I love them. Yeah. They, um, and they, they are, I feel like, super underrated. Yeah. But um, I feel they, they probably more than most have done a really good job for making a lot of the bands that we book on here, like, direct kind of, like, access to them and to learn their music and discover a lot of stuff. Yeah. No, it's great. And, like, for, uh, you know, like, people don't really buy physical stuff anymore, but, like, for, for an online store for that kind of thing. And if you don't have some major distributor doing that for you and it's like amazing because yeah. you you know you just go direct and it's it's awesome and there's also a lot of bands that do fun stuff like um people sell cassettes you get the digital and you get the cassette yeah but i don't know i don't have a cassette player but you know oh you don't no i have a couple i can give you oh one. really yeah I, oh, I might have one it might be in the casio next to casio oh yeah it's probably in the probably scene. <laughs> Probably like the same kind of like same department. Yeah, in the your same attic. the same sad place of <laughs> departed electronics that we that went for the eighties. Um, well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to the Cadobar guys. Um, thank you to Mr. Andrew Raposo, uh, wherever he might be. Um, shout out to the family, to Meatball, to Ornella. Thanks to Pierre for stepping in today. It was a great man. Uh, Dave, hope you had a good time in Philly. We will be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Um, what's the name of the last song you're going to play for us? Uh, this one's called My Pet, and it's on the, uh, the new EP that just came out. Okay. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.